So we gave them back $150 billion that they could put towards supporting terrorism, towards their military, towards building more ballistic missiles. It made absolutely no sense. And here's a country that killed 608 Americans in Iraq. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. I'm Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now, and we are honored to have as our guest today, Congressman Don Bacon, who represents District 2 in Nebraska. Congressman Bacon served in the United States Air Force for 29.5 years before retiring, his accomplishments during his career earned him the Distinguished Service Medal, two Legions of Merit, and two Bronze Stars. He was also selected as Europe's top Air Force Wing Commander in 2009. And we are truly honored to have you with us today, Congressman Baker. Thank you, Alan, and it's an honor for me to be on with you. I'm very grateful. Oh, so let's let's jump right into this, um, meaning issues that our audience are very interested in and also concerned about. And let's begin about what I would uh, describe as a very strong proponent, that you are a very strong proponent of Americans' alliance with the state of Israel. Can you tell us why you feel it is in the best interest of the United States to continue and strengthen the alliance with the state of Israel? Yes. And I could say it on two different levels. Uh, I would just say from a practical sense, Israel is the only democracy in that region. We share values. We share uh, the desire to protect religious freedom, freedom of speech. And so it's our, our values. It's a, the only democracy in the region. It's, and Israel surrounded by folks who uh, would, would love to crush Israel. And so I, I think from a, just a practical in a moral sense there, we have to stand very close with our allies on this. Without us, Israel uh, becomes much more vulnerable, and uh, we, we, have, we have an obligation to, to be there. And, and I've served in Israel as a colonel uh, off and on. I, was, I wasn't stationed there, but I was helping stand up missile defense when I was stationed in Germany. I've worked with the Israeli military, uh, we've, and I just, uh, we've developed that kinship, and we work very well together, and, uh, and, and we're allies. Uh, we gain from each other too. When we when we provide military sales to Israel, uh, we know that they make them better. They sell it back to us. We get a better weapon back. We have a very iterative uh, a relationship that's sort of symbiotic in that way, and that we learn from each other and and gain from each other. So there's a lot of uh, it's a plus. It's a win-win for both countries. Our alliance, but Israel needs us. They're surrounded by enemies. But on a, another level, let's say a religious level. I feel like we have an obligation. I was raised in an evangelical home, and I remember my dad teaching me at the dinner at the breakfast table. We did morning devotions every day, and he said, "Those who bless Israel will be blessed." And I have uh, uh, was raised with that in my in my heart. And when I traveled to Israel at the age of fifteen, and when I traveled and I saw the memorial, the Holocaust memorial, it's changed a lot now. 
Um, I was there in 1979 the first time. Uh, but you know, I, I know I know that we need the nation of Israel to be a safe haven uh, for the Jewish people all over the world, and we we owe it to have a strong, secure, safe haven. So I, I look at it at both those levels on a religious principle and a, and the Holocaust background. But two, it's the only democracy in the world, and we should stand by, side by side. I herald your your answer. <laughs> um, I, it, you share the same values that we do, and it's interesting to hear someone with your military background uh, coming to the same conclusions um, as most of our listeners uh, share. Let me ask you, putting on your congressional hat, are you concerned about what is the overt anti-Israel and anti-Semitic voices that are coming out of the Democratic side of the aisle in the United States Congress? And I'm specifically talking about the group that calls themselves the Squad. Uh, is this of concern to you? And do you think the Democratic Party is doing enough to counter uh, this anti-Israel conclave within its caucus. Yes, this anti-Semitism is growing. We do not want to become like England, where they're having that problem on their left party, where it's overt. And if we don't deal with this now, that this problem will get to the point where what we see in Great Britain and in France, where they're having this in, uh, in almost every one of its parties. And I've, I've just traveled to Paris, and they acknowledge it's a problem uh, from left to right. And so what we see on the left is, uh, we, we heard it with, uh, you know, with Omar, and we've seen it also with Tlaib, a, uh, a strong embrace of the BDS movement. Uh, we also, we saw the, the statements that were made earlier this year talking about the Benjamins and dual loyalties. And I think the Democratic Party Initially, wanted to deal with it. Some of them did, but the, you know, the speaker and the and the larger group stepped on it and basically sort of whitewashed the whole thing, and so they failed to really deal with it honestly. And we just got to make clear whether it's on the left or the right because we see alt right groups out there, and we got to stand up and say that's wrong too. I, my position is clear: anti-Semitism, no matter where it's at, I don't care what what party they affiliate with, we got to say it's wrong. And, and and put light on it and show that and hopefully it's shameful because it, it's a shameful thing. You mentioned the BDS movement, and for our listeners who are not familiar with that language, it is a boycott movement that seeks to isolate and, frankly, to destroy the state of Israel. And I can assume from your comments that you oppose the BDS movement. Yeah, I'm a sponsor on legislation to say, hey, if you're an organization that gets taxpayer money, you cannot support the boycott movement of Israel. Now, people will, will try to confuse this, say, well, we have the freedom of speech uh, to boycott. And everybody in our country has freedom of speech, and you can feel what you want, say what you want, but you're not entitled to taxpayer money uh, if you're a, an organization. And so I support the anti-BDS movement that protects taxpayer money, which should go to organizations that want to isolate Israel in a part of the world that isolation means defeat. They want to isolate Israel diplomatically, economically, culturally, and it's wrong. 
I will tell you from your description of your legislation that Secure America Now and our over 4 million members will get behind that particular legislation to break any sort of boycott or to fund any sort of boycott of the State of Israel with taxpayer dollars. It sounds like something uh, that is literally right up our alley. Talking about uh, shared um, uh, uh, conflicts, that potential conflicts that we have with the United States and the State of Israel, can you share with us your expert opinion on the challenge that Iran actually poses both to the United States and to the State of Israel? Yes, I see Iran as the biggest threat, not in the immediate term, but 10 years, 15 years out. Uh, if Iran ever gained a nuclear weapon, I, I, I think we have, we, well, would be unacceptable. We cannot ever allow that result. And why do I say that? Well, just this past week, the IRGC commander of Iran, Soleimani, he's a general, he, uh, runs the uh, Iranian Guard Forces, the Quds Force, that's a subordinate part of that. He basically said, we, we are developing the ability to annihilate Israel. And he calls Israel a cancer, a tumor that needs to be cut out. It is vile. It is anti-Semitic in its, you know, in its, in its purest form. But Israel's made it clear that they want to develop the capability to destroy Israel. And therefore, we know that they, they, they've been working towards a nuclear weapon, it, if you're pro-Israel, pro pro-American, it, it, it's a threat to the entire region, it's, we cannot let it go down that path. That's why I support the president's measures to economically choke Iran to its knees, because if we don't deal with this problem now, we will have to deal with it in 10, 15 years. Here's some additional threats of, of Iran. They have over 1,000 ballistic missiles, and they can hit our bases throughout the whole region, but most of them can also hit Israel, right? And you pair that with a nuclear weapon or a chemical weapon, and you can see the problems that, that we're confronting. And thirdly, Iran's the largest promoter of terror. Uh, we lost 608 Americans in Iraq uh, with, the, with their aid to the Shia militias. And that's, a, I think, a conservative count, but that was the official accounting that the DOD provided. We know that they arm the Hezbollah that are on the border of Israel. They support Hamas, even though they're Sunni extremists. Uh, they, they're supporting uh, who are, would otherwise be an adversary because of their threat to Israel. So they're, they're funding the terrorism movements that are confronting Israel. But not only Israel, United States as well. We've, we've been attacked by the Hezbollah. And we also know Iran uh, aids al-Qaeda, though al-Qaeda says that they hate Shia. So it's sort of the, my, the, my enemy of my enemies, my friend. We see that playing out with Iran. You know, it's interesting. I believe it was in the official report on the 9-11 Commission that was produced by the 9-11 Commission, where there is some talk, not much, but there is some talk of how al-Qaeda was actually shielded and found a safe haven within Iran after the attacks on the United States. Um, and That's true. I mean, I'm in the, I served in the intelligence career field, and it's true. Uh, they have shielded 
They shield families. Yeah, they shield family of Osama bin Laden in Iran. So I'll, I'll, I'll defer back to you, but it's uh, it's absolutely true that report. Well, we also know um, that way back when, before we had any confrontations with the Iranians. Uh, there was an American Marine force, a peacekeeping force in Lebanon that was attacked, a terrorist attack that killed over 200 American peacekeepers. Um, so the war with Iran has been on a low level and a high level for a long period of time. But I assume from what you're saying that you think that the Obama administration's nuclear deal with Iran was a bad thing for the United States and the world. Yes, and I say this on multiple levels, but at the highest level, we gave them back $150 billion as part of this agreement. To me, we paid a ransom fee or extortion fee to them to, to make an agreement that actually was to our disadvantage. It was a, ter a terrible deal. So we gave them back $150 billion that they could put towards supporting terrorism, towards their military, towards building more ballistic missiles. It made absolutely no sense. And here's a country that killed 608 Americans in Iraq through their aid to the Shia militias that attacked our forces, to a country that captured or held hostage our diplomats in 1979, who killed those Americans you talked about, those Marines in, in Beirut, uh, who targeted our airmen at Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia, uh, one of which... One of those people killed was a friend of mine that I flew with, and he was uh, uh, killed when that truck bomb went off outside those, uh, those barracks. They've been attacking us all the way through. So to give them back that money strengthened Iran. But the worst thing about that deal is they had a 10-year sunset clause that allowed Iran, after 10 years, to start developing a nuclear program and weapon legally with official sanction, and that is unacceptable. We can never allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon, uh, particularly when you hear what they were saying this week about Israel. So here's another area that a lot of other people do not understand, though. When President Obama did this agreement with Iran, he sort of pitched his lot with the Iranian side and, and thought that they were the way to help counter al-Qaeda and ISIS. What that did, that put a big wedge between us and the Arabs that really have the bigger stake in this war. And to defeat al-Qaeda and ISIS, you've got to work with the Saudis, the UAE, you know, the Emiratis, the Qataris, the Iraqis. The, you know. And when you put your lot in with Iran to counter al-Qaeda ISIS, those other countries actually fear Iran more than anybody else. And it, sort of, it undermined our strategy to defeat al-Qaeda and ISIS. A lot of people don't understand that, that part of the chess game. We came out behind in that war, and thankfully, President Trump has righted the ship when it comes to the strategy in the Middle East. You bring a tremendous amount of valuable experience and knowledge to your job as congressman. On national security measures, what concerns you the most? Obviously, Iran is a major concern. Are there other national security concerns like China or North Korea that uh, keep you up at night or uh, wish or have you wish that the United States had a 
different policy, or are you satisfied with the general direction of Trump administration on national security issues? I'm satisfied with the general direction, though I would probably say things a little differently. I think we need to make clear that Russia, Russia is an existential threat to America and Israel, and their leadership, Putin, uh, definitely, uh, their goal is to be the, they want to be the world superpower, and they, they uh, I guess they, they miss the fact that they were a, one of the two superpowers uh, a couple of decades ago, and they want to regain that. And they, they oppose us in almost in every area, uh, whether it's, you know, economically or with alliances, uh, and they, ha- they don't share our values. Uh, but I think in the end, they also, we have a pretty good deterrence set up sitting there. But we just got to know that they, there are adversaries in about every way that they can be. Uh, but they don't have the economic power to deal with us. They're about one-tenth of what we have. And so China, though, is something we, it's the growing threat. They have about 85% of our GDP, and they have a cyber threat that they're attacking our, our intellectual property. And, and so they are the, the growing power. And they also don't share our values. Uh, but we gotta, I think we can work there to try to find some coexistence as long as it's based on realism. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to go down a bad, bad path, but we have to be careful. They don't also don't have our interests at heart. North Korea's concerns because they have about 60 nuclear weapons, and they have a leader that's unstable. And, but I think the president has done a good job trying to de-escalate those tensions and I think we're in a better spot now than we were two years ago. But we can't take our eye off of that. Kim Jong-un, is, uh, he's not a sane person. He has 60 nuclear weapons. And, that, and he sees that as the – that gives him the source of his power. So I, I'd be very surprised if you ever really is honestly considering to give him up. I, I would, I'm very skeptical of that. Can you, I'm going to change course here and deal with an issue that unfortunately is in the headlines uh, wherever people turn in America, and that is a Democratic uh, move to impeach uh, President Trump. Do you have any thoughts on that that you'd like to share with our audience? I, I sure do. You know, I, I've been hearing impeachment since the first day that President Trump was president. Uh, we know that there, there were many that sort of rejected his election. And it started with this Russian investigation where we see that the whole thing started with a Clinton paid dossier, the Steele dossier, that was based on lies. And they used those to do wiretaps on some of the uh, campaign side of uh, the Trump team. And really, it became the, the basis of the Mueller investigation. But we know now that there was no collusion. Uh, there were there was, you know, some mixed opinions on how he handled that, the president. But in the end, there was not enough evidence for obstruction. So now that we're now we're on this thing with Ukraine, and my, I would just you know speak honestly. My view of it is the president would have been better off not to have even mentioned Biden to the Ukrainians, because I just think. It, it wasn't a wise thing because it would come back to, to come back to haunt. I mean, it just seems to me seems to me I could see that happening. But the truth is, he didn't break any law, and there's nothing impeachable there. And what he has said is no different than what the previous administration was doing. They were investigating Trump in Ukraine. They were going after Trump's campaign team, the Manafort, for one. We also know that Democrats in the Senate wrote a letter to the Ukrainian leadership a year ago 
asking them to investigate Trump. So if it was wrong for Trump to talk about Biden, isn't it not wrong for the Senate Democrats who wrote that letter to the Ukraine leadership to investigate Trump? Aren't they not wrong? And we know that Clinton was investigating Trump in Russia, right? So it's to me, this is, I would say, very selective outrage, and it's because of partisanship. And I share General Mattis's view that the biggest threat in America right now is not the South China Sea, uh, not, you know, on the edges of NATO there. It's really this polarization and this win-at-all-cost attitude that we have in our political dialogue. And Americans, we've got to dial it down. We live in a great country uh, with great freedoms and with a great economy, with great blessings. And we, we have to be able to compete during an election, but after an election, roll up our sleeves and start compromising and working together. That would be my message. You know, uh, I think you've been very articulate in the way you answered the question about impeachment. Um, I think it's not only is it selective, but there are many people, and we hear from our audience, which is millions of people, frankly, um, uh, talking about that it, it smacks this movement to impeach smacks of a way to win an election that you lost, uh, meaning Absolutely. To, uh, to wipe out the 2016 results and to uh, use uh, the impeachment process uh, to, uh, to get rid of a president with no evidence, really, that's impeachable. And, um, and, and that's just smacks of, as you said, partisanship and, and politics. You know, there's what I see, and I see it. I'm in a purple district. Our district's 5149, 5248. And so I see, you know, both sides of the aisle frequently. Obviously, I'm a conservative. Um, but what I see is with some people, and it's not the majority, it's not even half, but there is a sizable minority that hate the president so bad that they throw the rules out the window. Uh, they, they're like, it's, it's, they feel entitled to try to shame people in public or, or vandalize or uh, humiliate people. Or, I mean, it's just the decorum and the civility has been hurt. And some folks think it's all right because it's about President Trump. Well, it's not all right. Uh, we, we are still Americans. We should be respectful to each other. But in the, with this election, they think it, there's like no rules. Well, let's attack the president's credibility that, that he didn't really rightfully win this election. And, that's, and it's, so it's, it's based on a hate for the president. And I think it, you know, it's a shame. I, I see it. I see it every day. Well, Congressman Bacon, I really would – we're extremely appreciative of you taking the time sharing your expert opinions um, and your sentiments about the current state of our country, which we share as well. And, you know, we would love more civility and less politics in our dialogue. And I want to invite you to join us again sometime in the future um, to carry on our conversation. But I thank you for taking time out of your busy day and sharing with us and continue to do what you're doing. I know you don't need my exhortation on this. Um, you've done fantastic stuff both in the U.S. military and in the United States Congress. 
and we look forward to working with you. Well, thank you, Alan. It was a privilege meeting you. And I would just ask your, your listeners, uh, I appreciate you following me on Twitter or Facebook, and and, uh, I, and I feel great to be part of uh, a broader community. So I thank you for introducing me to uh, your listeners. You're welcome. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org. Don't miss a single Code Red podcast. Subscribe today on Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean. You can also find the Code Red podcast on YouTube.